you pray for Brother Keith Shoemaker, missionary to Burkina Faso, as the Lord uses him this Amen. morning. God Thank you, brother. Thank you. It's funny because, uh, you know, the, the one question about playing basketball, and, and, and uh, one of the men that already asked me that said, do you, does that bother you? I said, no, not really. I guess because I played basketball. The one that I never, how's the weather up there? I thought, <laughs> that just is one. So uh, our pastor told me one time, he said, he said uh, just because he's about my height, he says, what you just need to do is just spit on their head. And just say it's raining up here. I don't know about down there. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> take care of the problem. And uh, but uh, the Lord sure is good. Uh, I think I want to come back for the cookie exchange if that's all right. Amen. Uh, I, I heard it was for the. I said it was for the women. I think, but I don't. Well, men. Oh, that's true, brother. I heard the food was excellent. It was kind of interesting because we had a missionary, and my wife's laughing already. She knows where I'm going. We had a missionary just a couple days before we were sitting at a table at Massachusetts Missions Conference, and he said one of the things that usually happens when uh, churches try to have foods cooked from other areas, he says, usually it's no good. And, 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 but my wife came back and cause we were laughing cause I know sometimes they try, but it, you know, they try their hardest, but they've never cooked it before. But my wife came back yesterday and uh, she said, you will not believe you missed some of the most amazing food from all over. And they had this and this and this and this. The only problem was I didn't get any. <laughs> and she was talking about how good, and then my other two daughters were talking about how good it was, so I think they had a wonderful time. And I heard the food was just absolutely wonderful, so I was blessing. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter number 1 and verse number 11. I do want to, if you put something on your prayer, uh, List, if you can pray with us about a great need that we do have there in the country of Burkina Faso. Uh, stated a little bit on Sunday school about the desire to plant and start multiple churches and continue to grow that. Uh, one of the biggest pieces of the puzzle, and I say pieces of the puzzle, it's not that this will cripple us if we don't have it, but it is something that will help us greatly is to be able to develop a, a land in which we can have camp, I call it camp land, but it's not really just, it's not always, it's not the final word. Everyone thinks we just want to develop a camp. It's to have a location where we can have uh, couples retreats, pastors retreats and, and conferences. Uh, we have pastors camp already. We do have youth camp. And our youth camp started about 10 years ago with, with less than 30 of us total with the pastors that were there and, and, and the youth. And this past year, they had well over 150 youth, uh, probably going to be pushing near 200 next year. And so we just continue to grow, and we're outgrowing the facilities that we kind of use. Uh, now we kind of rent school buildings or whatever else. So it would be good to have our own uh, property. And, and matter of fact, God's already provided us a piece of property. Uh, we started out with one hectare, which is about two and a half acres. We added on another hectare, which has made us five acres. And just, I think it was about a month or so ago, the Lord allowed us to buy another two hectares. So we have 10 acres. And it's about 20 minutes from where I live. It's it's in a village, but it's just 20 minutes away from where we live. And uh, God's already given us water on that land. And uh, if you, if I, we've been able to drill some, actually go up into some villages that don't have any clean water. Uh, and we've been able to team up with a ministry 
uh, there over there, and we've been able to bring in, uh, and they've been able to put some hand pumps in there. But the two men, they're, they're Irish Baptists, and I don't know exactly everything, but he likes us and likes our doctrine. And uh, and so we've kind of worked together uh, to do that in a few villages. But when we were going out to that particular village, and we were wanting to start a church there, and so he, uh, I told him we were wanting to put a camp there. And so we dug one hole and got a hundred something feet, and we hit water enough for a hand pump. Uh, but he knew that I wanted to be able to put a submersible pump in there for uh, the future. And so we went back out a day later the next day, and we dug, and, and it was just not getting what we wanted until we hit about two hundred ninety-five feet, and then we hit an absolute gusher. And uh, I've got the video there, I think, on Facebook somewhere back a few years ago. But, I mean, just water. And, and we've never done anything with that hole yet because we were waiting on the other two hectares to be bought. Because I was afraid once we put that in there, uh, the people farm. And sometimes I would think they would want to come and irrigate from that, which we don't mind them doing. Uh, we just need... <laughs> we, we just needed our two hectares. We need our land bought before we did that. So Lord's helping us. Uh, but the need to get the buildings kind of were dorm rooms, uh, a, a type of a sanctuary type of a uh, building to, to be able to have and hold probably, you know, three, four or five hundred people, probably probably four or five hundred people. Uh, and then uh, be able to uh, have the other facilities where we can eat and kitchen and all that stuff. It's going to cost us somewhere upwards about one hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollars. The Lord's already provided by God's grace about twenty thousand of that. And so pray for us with that. It's a great piece of the puzzle. And there's so many things that we can achieve with that property uh, as we move forward uh, with God's grace. But Acts chapter number 1 and verse number 6. Uh, a great passage of Scripture here. I, you know, I always say that everywhere I turn. This is a great, great, this is a great, great story. The whole Bible's great. I mean, it's just a wonderful, there's nothing like it. it's wonderful. And so everywhere, and every time I open it up, I always say it's great. Someone said, you always say that. I said, well, it is. It is. That's absolutely wonderful. It's great. Uh, Acts chapter number one and verse number six. When they uh, were, uh, can you stand with us for the reading of God's word? Acts chapter, uh, Acts chapter number one and verse number six. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, "Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel?" And he said unto them, "It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in His own power, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses." Uh, unto me both in Jerusalem and into Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, You men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall soon come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Princess, Father, Lord, we thank you so much for this wonderful day that you've given us. Thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to be able to be here at this wonderful church with these wonderful people. Lord God, you know the needs. You know if there's someone lost amongst us, I pray that you touch their heart and help them to understand the need of their salvation. For those that have already been saved, Lord God, I pray that you stir us for this world that is lost and dying. And they're going to hell and they need somebody to tell them. They need somebody uh, that will reach out to them. I pray that you'd help this church to do their job to reach those that you put in their path. Lord God, I pray this morning that you'd help me as your servant. I know I didn't deserve salvation, but Lord, you gave that. Thank you so much. I know I didn't deserve the call to preach, but Lord God, you called me. I know I didn't deserve the call to be a missionary, but Lord God, you called me. And I pray that you'd use me this morning for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 
As I think about this passage and I think about those words right there in verse number 11, as the angels there were standing with the, with them as they were uh, gazing and, and they were looking and they had just seen their Savior uh, ascend up into heaven. And can you imagine if you were sitting there and as, you, as He's talking to you and all of a sudden He starts going up and you're sitting there and then all of a sudden there's this question that has been asked and I think really this question is a good question to be asked this morning for us. It says simply, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? And basically what he's saying is, uh, there, you've been giving something to do, why are you gazing? There's something you ought to be doing. There's, that, that, just gazing is not going to get the job done. I, I, I remember a few years back, and sometimes when I come home on uh, furlough, uh, usually when I'm over there I'm active, and, 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 and you're not traveling, and, and you don't have good meals like you provided yesterday and and over there. I mean, my wife provides, but you just don't have, you know understand. You. And when we're out on traveling here and there, and, and people feed you in, in missions conferences and other conferences, and just eat too much, and uh, and then this thing becomes rounder and rounder. And uh, someone said, "Well, do you like it to be round?" Well, no, but I like the stuff that makes it me round. And uh, so what I picked up and I started doing quite a few years ago when I came home was I just started jogging. And I don't, don't jog very fast, just kind of run a little bit and, and run a few miles and, and try to run a few, you know three or four miles each time and, and do that a couple times a week if possible. And so what um, the, the one thing, I really don't care for jogging a whole lot, I just like to eat. And so that's why I kind of do that. But there's one thing about running that I really don't like, and that's dogs. I like dogs. No problem. Love dogs, but I don't like dogs when I run. And uh, and so I've had a few funny little instances with dogs. But there was this one particular time. This is, I guess, it was about seven, eight years ago or so when I, we were back home, and I was just running along. And all of a sudden, as I was running, you, you see that dog because you know you're trying to run. So I'm not scared of the dog. And if you're just probably standing there and looking at him, he's not going to do anything. But he sees you running, so I'm running, and all of a sudden I hear ruh ruh ruh, big old dog ruh ruh ruh, and he's coming, and and so I, he comes up there, a big old black dog, just looking at me. I mean, he's mad and growling and barking and just a, just a, just a little bit over there, and and so now, you know you're, you're you want to keep running because when I start moving, I don't like to stop until I'm done because when I stop, I don't want to start running again. And so, so then you're kind of inching away and you're trying to get distance. And so he, for, for, I mean, I, it was like a battle. So you keep an eye to eye and, and uh, just kind of slowly trying to back off, hoping he'll go back to the house. And so we battled that for, I don't know how long, a, a minute or so. And, and finally I, he, he turned around and went back and, you know, I picked up some, tried to pick up some rocks and act like I was throwing at him and, and everything. And he, and he finally went off and I thought it was done. So I just start jogging again. Well, I'm, I don't know, 75 yards down or 50 yards, 75 yards down the way. I don't know how far, but I, there's, there's a good distance between it. And all of a sudden, I hear him behind me. And uh, at the time, I, I turn around, and at that time, he, he starts lunging at me, trying to get me. And and so, uh, you know, of course, we it was this was a quick encounter, and, and I kind of yelled at him, and he finally went back, running back. And then all of a sudden, there I see there's a vehicle right over there. And there's this lady looking, and she's just like this. And after about two seconds, she rolls down her window, and she says, Sir, are you okay? And I said, Yes, ma'am, I'm okay. I said, The dog went back. I'm just going to continue on and finish my run and just you know, have a great day. And as she started driving off, I got her thinking. You know, I think this woman was witnessing and seeing this dog come up and 
she was witnessing something that was, she thought in her mind might be horrific. Here's this man about to be uh, mauled or, or bitten or, or chewed down by this big old dog. And she did nothing about it. She could have rolled down her window and said, Hey, there's a dog coming from you. There's a danger. She could have honked her horn and said, ah, ah, ah. So I turned around and saw the dog. She did nothing except for look like this. I'm afraid sometimes we as Christians will hear the need of those that are lost. We'll even feel the loss that are in our families. We'll even feel the need around the world. And sometimes we're just like that lady. Here's what we do. We basically just do this. We're just gazing. There's been a job to be done. I'm hearing pastor in a lot of our churches and it comes from the sometimes the pastors. I've heard it from evangelists. I've heard it from members. I hear this common theme. A lot of people are saying, I'm just waiting on the Lord to come back. And there's nothing wrong with being excited about the Lord to come back. The apostle Paul said he was in a straight between twixt. He was caught in a rock and we'd say a hard place. He had a desire to go see his Lord, but he knew that his life was necessary here on this earth for something else. So the more I study this and the more I would listen to people say, I'm just waiting for the Lord to come back, it actually sounded spiritual, but I'm not really sure that was spiritual in a lot of the cases. The reason why they wanted the Lord to come back is because they have some health problems and they just want the Lord to come back and take them out of their health problems. That, that maybe maybe a pastor, maybe his church isn't doing so well, and so he just wants the Lord to come back so it's finished. Is that really the reason why the Lord ought to come back? Just to take you out of your pain, your misery, your your health problems, your financial problems, or your church problems? I don't think that's the reason why the Lord ought to come back. And I'm not so sure that person is really ready for the Lord to come back. You want to know the one that's ready to come back? I'll use another illustration. I've got my, my children. Can you imagine if I left the house one day and as I was, I sold them and I looked at my daughter and my oldest daughter and I said to her, I want you to do the dishes. There's a whole bunch of dishes in the sink. I want you to wash those and I'll be coming back in a few hours. I expect them to be done. I tell my, 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 my other second daughter, I tell her, Meredith, I say, well, I, what I want you to do is I want you to vacuum the, 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 the floor and, and uh, I want you to, 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 to sweep the floors and clean all the, I'll clean all the floors, dust everything, make everything look good. I tell Isaac, I want you to go out in the yard and I want you to clean up the yard, make it look a little nice. I'm going to be back in a few hours. I expect it to be done. Well, I come back in a few hours and as I pull in, I realize that my son Isaac has done absolutely nothing in the yard. He's touched nothing. He's done nothing. Everything's the same. I walk into the house and I realize the floors are still uh, not been vacuumed. The floors are still dirty and, and dust is still on the table. And, and I go into the kitchen and I realize that, that, that the dishes have not been touched. And I call my children together and I say to my children, I had given you a job to do. What were you doing? And they said, we were just waiting for you to come back. I'm afraid there's a whole lot of Christians today, they're just waiting for the Lord to come back, but they're really not ready for Him to come back. If you're ready for Him to come back, you'll be doing what the Lord has instructed us to do. The reason why the, why the Apostle Paul could say he was in a strait between twixt is because on one side he desires for the Lord to come back, but on the other side he understands that he's needful here. He was being active. If there was anybody that was ready for the Lord to come back, it would have been the Apostle Paul. But as we look at this passage and we think about this, why stand you here gazing? Why stand you here looking? Why are, why are we looking around? Why does it seem like things aren't happening today? 
few years ago, I was talking and I was talking with a pastor, uh, just the other uh, a pastor from North Carolina, named by the name of uh, Brother Roger Baker. He's 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 now he's no longer pastoring. He's with our mission board, Macedonia Road Baptist Missions, and just a wonderful man of God, his sweet, humble spirit. But he's he's effectively taken two churches and grown those two churches to to become big and thriving and and mission supporting churches. And he's just a just a great man of God. But as, as we were talking, and we've talked very much about uh, about this, and, and uh, I was talking to him just the other day, and I shared this testimony. He said he hears almost the same thing over and over and over again. Sometimes we'll hear from from, 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 from churches, and I, I heard from a, 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 church, a pastor say to me, it's just, God's just not working like He used to work. The question is, has God changed? Does God not want to work today, Pastor? Where is the problem today? It's in us. So as the pastor said, God's not working like He used to work. I said, Pastor, what did you used to do? He said, well, we used to run buses. We used to go out on visitation. We used to do this. We used to do that. We don't do it. And I said, do you still do those things, Pastor? He put his head down. He said, no, we don't. How can we expect to get the same results that we used to get when we don't do what we used to do. It just doesn't work that way. We live in a society, and, and I'm afraid that our society has come to the place sometimes, and there's nothing wrong with it, but we're a fast food society. We're a TV dinner society. We want something to be quick and fast, but you understand those TV dinners and the, and uh, and that fast food sure doesn't taste as good as some, as a woman or a man or whoever cooks, and they'll spend that time of that preparation and for hours upon hours and cooks it. Well, I'll tell you, nothing like a hot cooked country meal, is there? It's a good meal. It's a wonderful meal. That fast stuff just doesn't compare. Today, even in missions, I, I watch young missionaries as they go out, and a lot of times they want this huge ministry in, 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 in this little bitty time. Yeah. And, and a lot of times they'll say, I mean, what's the secret of your success? Why, why, why have you had, why, why has God blessed you? What's the secret of success? And they say, can you give me some advice? My very first advice to them many times is no shortcuts. Sometimes shortcuts on paper looks good. But it's not always the best. I'm all for a shortcut if it's going to give us the same result that we really want. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with working smart. Nothing wrong with doing a little faster. But sometimes shortcuts aren't a good thing. In missions, a lot of times they're looking for a shortcut. And uh, I, I watch it on a daily basis. I, I watch that. You, somebody, and uh, that pastor I was telling you about, uh, he, he, one time he was up and he was teaching men because they wanted him to teach on how to, how to grow your church, how to grow the ministry. And he shared like 10 or 15 things. And he looked at his wife afterwards and he said to his wife, he said, he said, how would you think? Was that good? And she said, you forgot one thing. He talked about prayer. He talked about uh, the Bible, talked about other things. She said, you forgot one thing. And he said, what's that? She said, we worked hard. I believe God blesses hard work. If we're unwilling to work, don't expect God to bless. We are not this morning responsible for the product. Uh, you understand what I'm going to say, but we're responsible for the process. When there's a lost man that's on the street uh, around us or, or where we work with, 
We're responsible to do what? Give him the gospel. That's the process. I'm responsible to give him a track. I'm responsible to talk to him. I'm responsible to invite him to church. That's what I can do. Now, can I save his soul? Absolutely not. I can't do that. We go out into a village. We don't know if they're going to run us out of the village or they're going to accept us when we go up and preach. We don't know when we talk with the chief. Will the chief find favor with us or will the chief not find favor with us? But we ought to go. And praise the Lord, when we go many times, God opens up great doors for us. Sometimes people say, well, the doors aren't open. But my question is, are you sitting around doing nothing? Christianity has become a spectator sport. And God has never meant for Christianity to be a spectator sport. I'm... Nothing wrong with watching football. And I guess one of the greatest examples that we like to use is football. Because one of what? Why? Because it's one of the, the biggest uh, events that we have that has the most amount of people watching. A hundred something thousand in some of those football stadiums watching one game. I had taken my family yesterday. We went over to Dollywood and it was packed wall to wall. And I think when we were going, and they, they, even, they even had to start parking people last night in Splash Country. And uh, I thought, man, that, that, they overdid their parking lot. Went in. And, and driving back, it was a big... He said, there's only 32,000 people. And I thought, man, we were wall to wall. We, that was the first time, if you've ever been to Dollywood, they have good food there. I'm talking about food. I like food. We didn't even buy any food because the line was way too long. I'm not... Do you like their cinnamon bread? Does anyone like their cinnamon bread at Dollywood? They got some good cinnamon bread. If you've never eaten that, you need to eat that. That's good. But that line would have took an hour or so. It was ridiculous. I'm not waiting in that. And, uh, and so, as, as the, when we talk about the process, we talk about the product, talk about spectator sport, you, you go to those big games and you see the thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people that are there. And you think, really, who's making the difference? Just a few. It's the problem with Christianity today. It's a problem with the average church. There's a whole lot of people complaining that the church is not moving, that the church is not advancing, the church isn't doing this, and we're not doing that, we're not growing, we're not doing this. The question is, most of the time, those that are complaining are the ones that aren't doing anything. Remember as a young, young, uh, young man in our church, when I first got saved with the grace of God, started going in a, going to our church, and me and there was a, there was a man in our church, he was a good, he was a good, uh, uh, I don't know, I guess we, we'd call him, he, he just knew a little bit of everything. And the construction guy, he could do what he did good. And, and uh, we were trying to f- work on our fellowship hall. And, and I, I was 19 or something or 20 maybe at this time. And I didn't know any of that stuff. I didn't know much about any of the construction stuff. And bear, bear, I don't know a little hammer and nail, but I didn't know how to put up sheetrock and blaster it and do all this other stuff. Now, he was a little bit older and he had messed up his hand, I think, when he was working. And, and three of his fingers really messed up. So he could, there was a lot that he couldn't do, but he knew how to do it. So we worked, I thought we worked pretty good together. I, I could was young, I could pick stuff up, I could do it, and he could tell me what to do, and he could do what he could do, and we worked together, and when we got done, I was like, man, wow, that's pretty good. Then we had a, a gentleman in our church come in, and he looked at that and says, man, you should have done it this way, you should have done it that way, you should have done it this way. And I said, where were you when we were doing this? Amen. Where were you? I mean, it might not be the best, but we did what we could. We did our best. So here's three simple points from this 
passage right here. Why stand you here gazing? Number one, there's a world that needs to be saved. We're living in a time where the world, it seems like, it just continues to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. It's growing. But what a great opportunity. What a great opportunity for God to use us. We're, 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 we're able to, there's so much that we can do. The Bible says that the Lord is, is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I was in a church not too long ago, and I was there on a Sunday night, and and uh, walked in, and as a church that has supported me for quite a few years, and and a uh, pretty big church, and 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 and, and the pastor loves me, and, and we, we have a good friendship, and and uh, when I walked in, and and uh, he, uh, he he pastor immediately asked about, and I mentioned that this morning. He said, "How's the terrorism issue going over there?" And so I said a few words. He said, "Let's pray about that." And one man in the back said, "Here's what he said." He said, I heard a man say this. He said, the way to take care of the Muslim problem in the world is just to kill them all. Well, that just didn't, that doesn't sit well with me. That's not a Christian attitude. My dad was in the Navy. My dad retired Navy, worked at Cape Canaveral, worked on the guidance system of submarines. I understand that our military has to do what our military has to do. I support our military in that. As, 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 a, as a nation, we, we ought to do that. We ought to be behind. Sometimes they make decisions to protect America, to protect others. I do understand that kind of thing. But the, the, the Lord of Lords and the Kings of Kings have given us a command to go out in all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That supersedes who, who we love and who we like and who we dislike. That supersedes everything. It really does. And so when we hear stories about Osama bin Laden or, or, or maybe when, 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 when Saddam Hussein and the other guys have gotten killed, I did understand America had to go in and do what they had to do. And I'm not saying I'm against that. But one side of me actually, actually grieved for them. You could have been born in that country. Do you understand that? You'll stand up and you'll say, I'm praise the Lord, I'm born in America. That is true. But those, they were unfortunate, were born somewhere else where they didn't have a Bible. They didn't have a preacher. They didn't have someone to tell them about Jesus. And many of us will say, I just, we just ought to just kill them all. It's not a Christ-like attitude today. I've walked into, I went into Morocco and, and, uh, matter of fact, the average, and I understand there's terrorism, and I understand there's, there, and we're in a country 60% Muslim, and I was sharing that today. Nine, 98, 99% of the people, they're being affected by the, the, by the terrorists. The terrorists have even killed some of the Muslims. They've even attacked some of the mosques that are there that won't side with them. They're not all terrorists, they're not all for it. Matter of fact, if you, if we just want, we want, matter of fact, half of my preachers were former Muslims. And they're preaching the glorious gospel today. Some of the greatest men of God all across the world. I remember going to Morocco the first time and we got on a train and we were left in, we were left in Casablanca going to the north and it was about a six hour train ride and, and I don't know what you call the little cabin deal and there's, there's room for about six or eight people depending upon what kind of situation you were and there was me and I think there was five others and there was one lady and there was uh, four men. And the lady was, a, it turns out she was, she was a, she was probably 30 or so, but she was a, uh, history teacher at one of the universities, very intelligent woman. And, uh, and so they just started talking, I started talking to them. They're very friendly people. Just normal people. Just talking to them. And a lot of the missionaries over there, they're afraid to even bring up God. 
I didn't have to bring up God to them. They brought up God to me. Before long, I heard talking about God, talking about this, and I said, so here's a simple question I asked them. Well, what do you believe? I'm on a six-hour train ride. I've got some time. So for the next 45 minutes, an hour, they told me what they believed. And I asked them questions. Now, they didn't know I was setting them up. I knew what they were telling me. I'd already studied a lot of it. That's why I was asking these questions that I was asking. So after an hour of them telling me all that they believed, telling me how they thought they could get to heaven, I said, do you want to know what I believe? And they said, yeah. Especially that lady. That Some of the men tried to argue once or twice. And that lady said, he listened to us for over an hour. Be quiet. Let him talk. So for the next hour on a train ride, I took them from Adam to the cross. We didn't fight. We didn't, we didn't get mad at one another. I didn't tell them that I believe Muhammad was a liar. I didn't tell them that, they're, that, 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 that their religion is wicked. That's what they were born and raised in. They think, they think we're wicked. I don't know if we understand that. They think we are. That's, they grew up with that mindset. And at the end, I gave a lady the Bible. I gave her some tracts. And she was majorly under conviction. I don't know if she'd ever been saved by the grace of God. Last time I saw her. But they need Jesus. I, I believe this. I believe He died for the whole world. I don't believe He died for a few. I don't believe He chose those to go to heaven and those to go to hell. I don't believe that. The Bible says real quickly, and we said that, He's not willing that any should perish, that all should come to repentance. I'm not very smart this morning, but there's a word all in there. If it says all, I believe it means all. For God so loved who? The world. Parentheses, but not some. It didn't say that, did it? Love the whole world. Amen. Point number two. There's a work, there's a world that needs to be saved. Point number two, there's a work that needs to be spread. There's a work that needs to be done. And, and he shared about this in this, in, in this passage. If we look in verse number eight, in Acts chapter number one and verse number eight, but you shall receive power. Now, a lot of people are very confused and we understand that a lot of charismatic movement, and we deal with that a lot, are very confused about why the Holy Spirit came. Matter of fact, there's a whole lot of, even in our Baptist church, they don't understand that. It's very clear why the Holy Spirit has come to indwell us. And we can find that right there. But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me. There's people who will pray about being filled, but they don't even want to witness. Don't ever expect, don't ever think you're going to be filled with the Spirit, and you don't open up your mouth to try to win someone to Jesus. That's why He came. That's why He lives in us. So that we can be a witness is all over. But I love this little word. And, and uh, I, maybe you've already seen it. Maybe you've already heard it. But listen to this. You shall be witnessing to me. What does it say right there? In the Bible, a lot of times we jump over words. But in the Bible, we can never jump over a word. Words sometimes take things to a whole other level. There's a word right there that says what? Both. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but it says both in Jerusalem and in Judea. There's times that when I was on the phone, and I, I'm not trying to be critical, and I do understand that everyone's church is going through a different way, and, and some have a different aspect. And different, but I would call a pastor, and I understand sometimes they're maxed out on their mission support, or, or they can't take any new missionaries on, or other things. But sometimes I would hear this, we're just trying to reach our Jerusalem. Now, I'm not against them reaching their Jerusalem. The Bible says we ought to reach our Jerusalem. Matter of fact, if we're going to continue on with missions in the next 20 years, we've got to have strong churches in here in America that can help the work to go on over there. 
We need that. So we do need to work our Jerusalem. But pastor, to be a biblical church, there's a word both that's right there. And that both means that I need to be working in Jerusalem while I'm working in Judea and Samaria and in the uttermost parts of the earth. That means that if you're going to be a truly biblical church, you're going to have to work in both places. Not just one or the other. Both at the same time. Now, I got to Africa and I never, I, I was shocked when I found this out. There's actually missionaries that go around and they've raised support. They go on the field and then they don't teach the people their missions. I said, what kind of missionary are you? I said, do you believe in missions? Yeah. The Great Commission wasn't given just to the American church. It was given. And we shouldn't even say the American church. The church is a church. And I teach our people over there. Even if you can only... And I told you, out in the villages, they're poor. But there's times that they they actually... They start... I didn't tell them to do this. I just told them they need to support... They need to support the pastors. They need to support other people that are going out. They need to try to reach other places. And uh, they, they, they they came up with a plan. They'll work... Uh, they'll work uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. They'll work their fields. And on Monday, whether it's half a day or the whole day, they'll come together and work the church field. I didn't tell them how to do that. They don't get one profit from the church field. That doesn't go to any member. That goes to the other men that are trying to spread the gospel. Amen. So they don't know if you can give a dollar. Give a dollar. So I tell those pastors, they said, well, we can't give much. You've got to erase we can't give much. You, gotta, you give what you can. God knows what we can do. God doesn't expect you to give what you can't give. Or what He doesn't provide through you. God just wants us to be involved. Point number three. There's a worker that needs to be surrendered or submitted. I'll tell you a story. And uh, when I got to Burkina Faso in December of 2004, my vehicle was in some need of some repairs. And so I asked a missionary, I said, Where's a good mechanic? I said, there's a good Christian man right there. And uh, go over there. He'll treat you right and he'll do right and we trust him. And I said, well, that's wonderful. And so I went to him and he worked on my vehicle. And as we were finishing up, he said, who are you and what do you do? I said, well, my name's Keith Shoemaker. And I said, I'm a missionary here. And I'm looking for a place to preach. He said, that's wonderful. He said, I've got a place for you to preach. He says, about three and a half hours away. He said, I've asked missionaries if they come here, will they come preach to my people? And they all tell me they're too busy. They've got their works going. They don't have time to go and travel. I said, well, I just got here. So you set up the day and time. I said, I can't start. A, I can't promise you a church. I don't know how it'll work out. I said, but I will promise you one thing. If you'll set up the time when we go, I will open up the Bible. I'll do my best to preach to your people. And so we left on that three and a half hour trip and you're on paved road for a little while. Then you're on a main road that turns... It's, it's a main road, but it's a dirt road for a while. And then you get off of that road on another little road. It's scraped somewhat, but it's not been scraped for a long time. Then you get on a donkey cart path. And we're weaving in and out of trees, and there's a few huts here and a few huts there. And all of a sudden, we open up, and there's this little field, and there's a tree, a big old mango tree. And there's about 200 people gathered under there. And he goes, This is my village! I said, we get to preach to them? And I said, I got to preach to them? He said, yeah. I said, wonderful. Open up the Word of God. 
to a people where no Jesus has never been preached before. Preached that morning. A couple of ladies got saved by the grace of God. Started going out there every other week. Second week, I think there was a few other ladies. And the third week, there was finally a young man. His name is Dominique. I'm sharing with you about the Bible college in the tribal tongue. Well, the reason why we have the Bible college in the tribal tongue, Dominique got saved on our third trip out there. Dominique came to me in 2012. And he said, Pastor, he said, uh, me and these two other brothers, they were talking to me. And he said, me and these two other brothers, we're not really sure exactly all what God's doing in our lives. But he's been, he's, this desires in our heart and we've been praying, we've been talking and we're praying and talking and we're praying and talking. This is, this is what we can figure out. God wants us to become like you. They never seen anyone called to preach, brother. They never seen anything like that. They just felt like God was pulling them into the ministry to become a pastor, to be a preacher. I said, that's wonderful. And, uh, they've graduated. They didn't know how to read or write. By God's grace, they can read and they can write. Well, writing's a little struggle for some of them. But they can read and they can open up the Word of God. And they're preaching the gospel and souls are being saved. But as we walked in that village, there was a chief that came out that morning. I just saw a picture of him and I, I, I looked back at my old photos. I hadn't looked back for a long time, but there was a chief that was there and a very kind man and basically said, whatever you need, you know, we're here to help. Uh, about a year or so later, we had built a little church building and he came out for that church dedication and uh, very kind again. We'd go to where he lived, just a couple of kilometers away from his, from his, uh, from the church and we would go to the different huts and we'd gather them together and come and we'd try to preach. And we'd just say, we're going to preach in 15 minutes. Most of the time, if they were there, they'd come out and hear you preach. They wouldn't always come to the church. They at least come to there and they'd hear you preach out of respect and love. So the chief, he probably heard the gospel seven or eight times. Well, back in, uh, 2012, we heard he was a very sick man. Actually, I look back, it was December of 2011. I'd always said 2012. I couldn't remember exactly when I looked at the photo and it was marked the other day. December of 2011. And uh, we heard he was very sick. They said he was over 100 years old. And so we wanted to give him the gospel what we felt like one last time. We went there and we shared the gospel for about 30 minutes. Went through everything again. And he said the same thing like he always said. We're so glad you're here. So glad that people have a place to go. So glad that lives are being changed. If you need anything, you let us know. And as he was starting into his little spill again, one of the pastors kind of just got next to him and, and said, to, said, Chief, and he said, you and I both know that you won't be here much longer. You said the gospel is good for everybody else, but what about you? The chief put his head down. About ten seconds later, he raised his head and he said, if it's good enough for them, it's good enough for me. A couple of minutes later, he bowed his head and trusted Christ. Then he told us a story. He said, when I was a young man, I became chief of this village. He said, I've been chief for a long time. He said, and I heard a story or two when I was a young man, that there was a man, there was a man that would carry a book. And he would open up that book and he would tell stories out of that book. And those stories out of that book would change people's lives and transform the village. And he said, so I looked up into the heavens of the young man and I said, God, would you please send a man with the book? Amen. And he said, year 
passed on and years passed on and it kept going and no man came and no book came. He said, and then you came. He said, you got, you came, you got out of your vehicle, you shook our hands, you went back to your vehicle. He said, you got out the book. He said, you opened up the book and you told us about a man by the name of Jesus. And he said, Jesus has changed other people's lives in this village. And today, Jesus has changed my life. <laughs> Brother, I'm not worthy to be saved this morning. But I sure am glad someone brought the book to me. Amen. I'm glad we got the book today. Well, I don't deserve salvation. And I don't deserve to be called to preach this morning. I don't deserve to be a missionary this morning. They say, they'll say to me all the time, Brother Keith, we appreciate your sacrifice. I don't look at it as a sacrifice. It's an honor to serve God. I don't deserve... Do you understand? That man... I didn't think about this. A man told me the other day, he says... He said... He said he probably would have prayed that prayer before you were even saved. I said, that's absolutely true. I said, I think he probably prayed that prayer before I was ever born. He prayed for a man. I don't deserve to be that man. I'm sure I'm glad that God lets me be that man. I gotta take the book to over about a hundred year old chief, sit next to him and open up the word of God. A man who has led his village and his people to sacrifice chickens and goats over their idols for years and years and years and years, thinking that somehow, someway that'll get him to heaven. At the very end of his life, just a month or two before he dies, he gives his life to Christ. God could have used somebody else. But praise God, God decided to use me. But you know what? I'm not the only one that God wants to use or God can use. And I don't have time to tell you my life story. I struggled in school. I was not a straight-A student. My sister was. My brother's brilliant. I struggled just to be the average. I still struggle with reading today. I'll read my Bible in verse 1, 2, and 3. I'll get down to verse 3, and I'm not paying attention. My mind's over here, and, and I'll say, Lord, you're going to have to help me to get it. I still struggle to this day. And so when I say this this morning, I don't have time to get in all of it, but when I'll tell you this this morning, if, I, if God can use Keith Shoemaker, he can use anyone here. You know what God wants? He just wants us to surrender. I put that word surrender, but really the best word there is Submit. I've got a whole other message and we don't have time to get into it. There's a lot of times people will surrender. But they'll surrender not what they really want to do. Jonah surrendered, but Jonah didn't submit. The greatest revival that ever took place in the Word of God that we probably know about, Nineveh, he didn't enjoy one bit of it. He surrendered. He didn't submit. If you'll submit, you'll enjoy it. You submit, it won't matter if you're out on a, sleeping on an air mattress in the, on the sand under the stars. Doesn't matter if you're putting your hand in, in, in a bowl with a whole bunch of other Africans. You don't mind that. Don't matter if they're feeding you a rat, which they, I've eaten that a couple of times. Don't matter what they're feeding you. Because it's all good. Because the God of heaven, the God of heaven, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He loved me enough to save me. And He loves me enough to call me. And to use me. I don't deserve it. But I sure am glad He does it.